First, let me introduce myself. My name's Jeff Bennett. The privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor and to our online community watching this morning, welcome to you as well. I think we could all reflect back in our lives and think of people who were older than us that encouraged us, that loved us, and supported us. And if we were to make a list, we would be grateful for those names, grateful for those people. And so as we think of that in our lives, it's a good reminder to each of us, no matter what age you are this morning here, there are people younger than us that need our love and support and encouragement and influence, and that really does matter. It matters in all areas of life, but it especially matters when we think about spiritual things. I know for many of you this morning, you would say this, the most important decision you ever made was to receive Jesus Christ. Make him the Lord and Savior, the King, the leader of your life. That has changed everything. It's changed your life now, and it's changed your life for eternity. And for the many of you that would proclaim that, that would say that, then part of what should well up in our hearts is a desire to love and to care and to influence others toward that same decision, that we would use our, our experiences to help other people discover how great Jesus is. There truly is nothing more important than the decision about what we do with Jesus, how we respond to him, and moving others towards Jesus, and even as we think of our children and youth on the stage this morning, is really, really important. Now, even as I say that, here's what you and I both know, there's a lot of good ways to do that, and there could be some very wrong ways to do that, to move people towards Jesus. And we're right now studying the book of Luke. He's got the Christmas story in there as a church. And one thing that we're appreciating, I'm appreciating about Luke, is he gives us a really good model on how to influence and move people towards Jesus. In fact, the reason Luke is writing the book of Luke, these 24 chapters, sort of one book of a two-volume set, he also writes the book of Acts, he's writing this out of a heart to influence and persuade a man named Theopolis to believe in Jesus. So that's why we have the entire book of Luke. It's a letter written to one man, and Luke's saying, Theopolis, the most important thing you can ever do with your life is respond to Jesus, decide on him, and so he's writing this book. And here's what Luke does that's so instructive for us, so helpful. He doesn't tell Theopolis what to do. It's not a long list of external things that he needs to do. Luke's strategy is this. Theopolis, let me tell you about who Jesus is and what he has done. Let me tell you about who Jesus is and what he has done. And as we think about our lives seeking to influence other people, what Luke is doing is a wonderful model for us. Let us proclaim this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done and allow everyone the freedom to respond appropriately. And so that's where we come this morning. This is Theopolis' goal or Luke's goal. He's trying to tell the opposite. Here's Jesus. Here's who he is. Here's what he has done. And here's how I want you to respond to him. We're in Luke chapter 1. If you've got a moment now, you can open up your Bibles, turn them on, you can find it. We're going to be in Luke 1, 26. But as Luke is laying out this goal, he's giving a good example and a bad example of how actually to respond to Jesus. Last week was the bad example. But you wouldn't necessarily think 
that this man would represent the bad example. If you remember last week, Zechariah, he's righteous and blameless, he's elderly, and he's a priest. And if I was to tell you all those qualities, you would probably think, oh, he's going to respond to the news about Jesus rightly. He's going to believe, but we learned last week he doesn't. And now this week, we come to a second example of someone who hears the good news of the coming birth of Jesus, but she responds so well. The person this week is the exact opposite of last week. Uh, Last week, a man. This week, a woman. Last week, elderly. This week, maybe 15 years old, maybe 13 years old, from a poor, poor family, a remote village that no one really had heard of or respected much. But this young lady really becomes the first Christian, the first one actually to believe in Jesus. And many of you know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Mary, mother of Jesus. And she today provides the good example for us in how to respond to Jesus. And this is one way we know that Luke is actually writing a historical record. Because in, their, in Luke's day and age, you would want to elevate the man, the elderly priestly man, as the good example. And a woman wouldn't, especially a young girl, wouldn't be regarded as a good example. But Luke's not writing a story. He's writing history. And this is what actually happened And this is why we so appreciate Mary, because we see her faith today. So here's what, here's the outline for this morning. We're going to see first two things that Mary receives. Mary receives two things that are just so wonderful for us to understand. And then from there, and this is what Luke wants us to see, how does Mary respond to that truth? So first, what does Mary receive? And then secondly, how does Mary respond? And this is so important because what we're going to see Mary receives is is moves us beyond some of the Christmas cliches. And I know, and again, those those are helpful and nice, but Mary does not just get nice words. She gets real depth and real substance. Mary gets great theology this morning as she hears who Jesus is and what he has done. And so as we work through this part, this is what our souls need. This is what our souls need is depth and substance here at Christmas. So let's first see. Let let me unfold the story and then show you what Mary receives, the truth that she receives. Look down in your Bibles, uh, Luke 1, verse 26, and I'll read and then make some comments. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. A couple of quick comments we saw last week that the angel Gabriel predicted that Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, even though she was in her old age, would get pregnant. Now we see that has happened. As the angel said it would, she's six months along. But now Gabriel returns to a lady, to a young girl, 13, 15 years old, Mary. She's in this town of Nazareth. Her, she's betrothed. She's pledged more, greater than engagement, but they're not married yet. She's committed to marrying this man named Joseph, who is of the line of David. Luke is throwing these things in because they're important to biblical prophecy. This was predicted hundreds of years before. This is how Jesus would come. And she receives this greeting from the angel. Greetings to you, you who are highly favored. God is with you. And Mary probably told Luke this is what she felt at the moment. 
She was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. And if you had an angel show up and tell you God was with you and you were highly favored, you'd probably wonder all the same things. But then here's what the angel tells Mary. It's really unbelievable news what what he tells her. Look down there to uh, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever over Jacob's, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And just as we look at those words, what I want to do is just pull out several highlights of what Mary receives first. And let me just highlight a couple of phrases. One is, and you could underline it, the son of the most high. Mary, this baby will be the son of the most high or the son of God. And this is sometimes can be a phrase that is misunderstood in Christianity or we just don't know what it means, the son of God. The way I usually explain it is in this way. If I was to say to you, this person, he is a son of Alberta or this person, he is a son of Japan, What you would hear me saying is not that the province of Alberta gave birth to someone or the country of Japan actually gave birth to someone. What you would hear me saying is that this person is in the likeness of what people from Alberta are like. Or this person, if you want to know what Japanese people are like, just look at this person. He's a son of Japan. He fits the culture. He's in the likeness of people from Japan. And so Mary hears that her baby will be a son of the Most High God, meaning he will be in the very likeness of God. Mary, if you want to know what God is like, you're just going to look to your son to see it. And then secondly, look down at the very end there, verse 33, we get two words. He will reign forever, and his kingdom will never end. Forever, never-ending, or we could say eternal. So here's what Mary is hearing. That this child of hers will be in the very likeness of God, that he will be eternal. And what we'll read in a little bit down to verse 35, the angel also calls him the Holy One. In the likeness of God, eternal and holy. Here's what Mary is learning in this moment. The very divine nature of God is going to be implanted into her in physical form. God the Son is going to take on himself a human nature. And so what does Mary receive at this moment? Well, she receives the nature of Jesus, his nature. What, what, what is going to be his substance? And here's what we're learning here. He is fully divine. Jesus is 100% God. Now, we also know from other places in Scripture, he is 100% man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we call this doctrine the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. This is crucially important. This is so important for us to understand, and this helps us move to a greater depth here at Christmas. One is it's clearly taught in Scripture, but let me just say three quick reasons why this so matters, that Jesus is fully God. Because you say, oh, what does it really matter if he's divine or not? Here's the first reason. It speaks to the nature of our salvation. And simply, if you want to understand that, we could ask it this way. Can humans, can we save ourselves? And here's what we would learn in Scripture. 
that no human being, that no, create, no creature, no creation, not in them of themselves or binding together, we can ever save ourselves. Only God can save us. And so we need God to come to earth to provide a way of our salvation. The deity of Christ matters because it's the nature of our salvation. We can't save ourselves. We need God to come and to provide that for us. Secondly, it's the nature of our mediation between us and God. We have turned our back on God. We've gone our own way and we've created a gap, a chasm between us and God. And sin fills the middle of that. And who is qualified to bring God and man together? Again, can any man, could any creation ever be qualified to bring God and man together? No, because no person could ever reach that far to the other side. Only God himself can be a mediator between us and himself. Only God can bring us back to himself. And then lastly, these build on each other. The third one is the nature of our forgiveness. Only an infinite God can bear the full penalty of our sins of all of those who believe in him. Just think of what happens on the cross. What we mark on the cross is that in those three hours, all the sin of all those who believe in Jesus will be forgiven. How, can, how could that happen? Well, the only way it can happen is an infinite God can take on the infinite weight of that sin and bear the penalty. A finite creature would be incapable of bearing that penalty. And so for these three reasons, we need Jesus to be fully divine. It's the nature of our salvation. Only God can save us. It's the nature of the mediation. Only God can bridge the gap, and it's the nature of our forgiveness. Only God could pay the infinite penalty that needs to be paid for all the sin. So here's what we mark. Without this doctrine, without this doctrine, there is no salvation. In fact, without this doctrine, the full divinity of Christ, there is no Christianity. It is utterly important. It is crucial and this is why you see in faith systems, they often stray from this point first or quite quickly. Think of Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims. They all would stray from this point and therefore do not offer any salvation. They've lowered Jesus and therefore he can never provide the salvation that is needed. So that's the first thing that Mary receives. She receives a statement on the nature of Jesus. And as you just think about that and ponder that, all oh, that her son, her baby would be fully divine. But here's the second thing that builds right on top of that. She also receives the mission of Jesus. What is Jesus going to be about? And these two very closely relate. You'll see down in verse 31, the angel says, you are to call him Jesus. And Jesus means this. It means the Lord is salvation. It means Yahweh saves or simply put, it means God saves. Mary, call your baby, God saves. Matthew helps us understand this more. Here's how Matthew says it. Mary, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Do you hear the unique claim of that? Mary, name him Jesus because he will save. He's not just gonna be a guide or a teacher or point us to God. He himself is the one who saves us. The Heidelberg Catechism, and you'll see a, uh, a picture on the side screens of this quote, helps us understand this. 
Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is a Savior? Because he saves us and delivers us from our sins. And likewise, we ought not to seek, neither find salvation in any other. Why is Jesus called Savior? Because he alone saves us. Nothing else delivers us from our sin. And if we seek it or try to find it anywhere else, it is not found. This is what the Bible declares on almost every page of who Jesus is and what he accomplishes. And this is unique to Christianity. No other religion says these things. Let me illustrate that in this way. Here's what I know two things would happen. One of two things would happen. Either here's what I could do to make sure that I would not be back on this stage next Sunday, or if I was, you would not be here. Here's what I could simply say this morning. Let's change the worship songs and have you worship me this morning. You know, not, oh, how great you are, God, just, oh, how great you are, Jeff, right? Let's just offer worship to me. If we did that this morning, I don't even know if I'd make it to the end of the service on this stage, and rightly so, right? And if you knew I was back next week teaching that, you would not be here. Why? Because you would say, no, Jeff, you're not God. We're not going to worship you. And if I was to say, and I still haven't figured out all the particulars of this, but come forward at the end of the service and put your faith in me, then I will forgive you of your sins. You'd say, Jeff, we're not coming forward. We're, we're running out that door, right? Who are the elders of this church, right? Uh, you would know that, right? Because why? Because we just don't do that. Human beings do not step forward and say, worship me and I will save you from your sin. But this is exactly what Jesus does. This is exactly what Jesus says, who he is. I have come to save you from your sins. Put your trust in me. Worship me, I am God, and I am worthy of your praise. That's what Jesus proclaims. Do you see how unique this is? No other religion teaches this. No other religion. Every other religion has a leader that says, let me point you the way to God. Jesus steps forward and says, I am God. Worship me and put your trust and faith in me. Sometimes in our culture, we have, a, we have sort of an idea that we can say, you know, well, all religions are the same. You know, they're superficially different, but ultimately at the heart, they're all, they're all the same. And this is not what Mary hears. Mary hears something very different, that Christianity and who Jesus is is utterly and totally unique. And sometimes we like to say, and you may, you may be in this category, because you just like to say it's all the same, so it forces us not, it allows us not to make a decision. And what I would just simply remind you of today is life is full of hard choices. And but the most important choice we will ever make is to decide on who Jesus is, the truth of what he proclaims about himself. And so this is first what Mary receives from the, the angel Gabriel. This is who Jesus is, his nature and his mission. But now we get to see how Mary responds. And it's so instructive and so helpful for us. Look down to verse 34. Here's what Mary says. It's just one sentence. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And you can just imagine all the thoughts that are going through her head as she has just heard this news. And if you were here last week or familiar with the story of Zechariah, these two responses can seem somewhat similar, but they actually are quite different. Last week, Zechariah said, how can this be? This week, Mary said, how will this be? Zechariah is looking for more evidence. Hey, prove it to me. How's this going to happen? I don't believe it. 
Mary's saying, how will this happen? I believe, but I just like a little more information. I'm confused. If I was to say to you today, hey, after the service, we're going to Disneyland. Some of you could say, how can that be? Prove it to me. Show me the ticket. Others of you would say, hey, how will this be? Where's the plane? Is it plane or car or train? Let's go. And that's the category Mary's in. She believes what's been said. Zachariah, he's not sure it can be true, but Mary, she just can't understand it. Zachariah gets a rebuke for not believing. And Mary, as we will see, gets a partial explanation. So if I was putting Mary's response here into one category, and it's probably more like two categories, but if I was just going to call it one, one thing, one response, here's how I've described her first response. It's the response of wonder. Mary's first response is wonder. And that sort of combines the idea of awe, but also the idea of wondering. Maybe the best example is of the northern lights. I've never seen the northern lights. Someday I would actually like to go and, and see them. You, you, if you see pictures or videos, the sky is just filled with color dancing around. And, and it's just amazing to see. And uh, when I look in on that, I know it's particles from the sun that collide with the earth, but I totally don't understand it. But when I see a picture of that, I, I believe it. It's true, but I also wonder in my heart, how is this happening? How is that possible? And that's where Mary ends up. She's perplexed but yet she's trusting. She's heard that Jesus, who's going to be fully God in human form, is going to be born and is going to come to the earth, and she's trying to get her head around all of that. And so maybe this morning, here's one takeaway. Maybe this morning, as you would think about this truth, the deity of Christ, you just need to go deeper into that truth. Maybe even need to go back and slow me down on YouTube and listen to those three things I said really quickly about all that it means that Christ is divine and how that matters so deeply. And, if all, and this is all true. This is what the Bible tells us. And such, it is probably the most important event ever in human history. The incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus to the world, because that puts in motion both his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension and everything else that takes place after that. For some of you, may your hearts be filled with wonder and go deeper into this doctrine. But the other encouraging part about Mary's wonder here is that she's able to ask a question. You know, just, just help me get my head around this. I'd like a little more information. I believe, but it's hard to believe. And what I appreciate about Mary is here's what she teaches us all. It's okay when you're perplexed to ask a question. If Mary doesn't understand everything and can ask a question, then so can we. And especially if you're here early on in your spiritual journey. Let me say this about all of us. We're all still trying to get our heads around this. How can God be fully man and yet fully divine? And all that that means in our heads, but in our hearts. And so if you're in that category, early on, trying to figure out Jesus, can I just encourage you? Keep asking questions. Keep pursuing. Keep leaning in, in wonder and wondering to hear the good news of Jesus. What I appreciate about Mary's heart, it's this. The qualities of her heart is this. She's longing to know more. God, I'd like more of your wisdom. I desire to hear it. I'm eager to hear it. But she's also so humble, just an open and ready to receive. So God, I, I want more from you. I'm longing for it. But God, as you speak, I'm just humble and open to receive all that you would say. 
That is Mary's spirit, and that spirit pleases the Lord. So that's her first response. She receives Jesus' nature. She receives his mission. But now her first response is wonder. And she's asked a question, and now she's going to get this little partial explanation. Let me read it for you. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the, child to be bo- the, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, who, was, who has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so the angel sets us up for next week's uh, lesson or next week's story as Elizabeth, or Mary goes to a visit Elizabeth. But verse 37, and this, this is a little bit of an aside, but it may just be a great reminder for somebody this morning. Here's what the angel says. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And maybe some of you have a week ahead of you, have a month ahead of you, or have a year ahead of you. And you're right now thinking, oh, no, you don't know my situation. It's impossible. It's impossible. This is never going to happen. And I just so love what the angel says. It's part of the Christmas story that we should all be reminded of, that nothing, nothing is impossible with our God. And so Mary hears this news, and then here's her second response. This is so beautiful. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. What's her response? Here's the second word. First was wonder. The second word is a response of surrender. I'm the Lord's servant. She totally and completely relinquishes control. She said, God, I've heard what you're doing. You've given me this partial explanation. I don't understand it all. There's lots of implications if you start thinking them through. But Lord, I am your servant. I surrender to you. And maybe even today, as I said just a minute ago, God is the God of the impossible. You may have been thinking, well, if he is, then how come he's not doing the impossible for me? How come he's not jumping into action and doing this or that for me? This is not Mary's response. Mary responds by saying, God, I just trust you. I surrender to you. God, I know you can do the impossible, but even if you do not, you are still good and I still trust you. Do you see Mary's response here? I am the Lord's servant. This takes immense courage. God, I'm your servant. I just surrender to you and I trust you. She's not negotiating the cost and the cost on this would be high. She's just accepting it. And let me say it this way. If Jesus, and he is, is fully God, if he is divine, then he has a right to our entire lives. The only appropriate response to Jesus as fully God is that we would surrender our lives to him and trust him as good in every situation. And you can see as Luke writes this, he's writing this to Theopolis, and he's like, Theopolis, be like Mary. Be like Mary. I'm writing 24 chapters, so you'll hear the good news of Jesus. And when you hear it, Theopolis, may you surrender your life to Jesus. Theopolis, you cannot save yourself. You have to turn from your sin. You have to turn to Jesus, and you have to trust in him 
You can almost just see Luke wanting Theopolis to say that at the very moment, this very moment. And Luke, I think, would want to say the same to us, to each of us here this morning. Jesus is fully God. Surrender your life to him. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, you've never received Jesus as God, as King, as Lord and Savior, wouldn't now in your heart you surrender to him? Turn from your sin, turn to Christ, and trust in him as the only source of salvation. What is his mission? He is come to save us, and he alone is the one that saves. No other source. And so this morning, wouldn't you put your trust in Christ? Just make that decision in your heart. And then for others of you this morning, you may have already, you've made that decision. You know that you came to a moment where you have trusted Christ and surrendered to him and felt him make you a new person. But as often happens in life, new challenges, new circumstances. And so you've come this morning to an impossible situation, something that's difficult ahead of you. And you have new opportunity to surrender. Not, not your entire life, you've already done that, but, but a moment, a, a something, a, a person, an event, a future. And so this morning, if you're in that situation, can I ask you again to be like Mary? I am the Lord's servant. Would you just take the courage to say, God, I surrender to you this situation. I trust you. I'm not negotiating the cost. God, I just am trusting in you. And sometimes when we say things like this, sometimes what, what you can hear is, oh, if I do this, if I surrender to God, then will, is that the strategy for him to fix this and to do the impossible? And may I say it this way? No, it's not. He's just God. And he's worthy that we surrender to him and trust him and say, God, just come. I trust in you no matter what you choose to do because you are God and you are worthy. So what Mary receives at Christmas is some great theology. She, the nature of Jesus, he's fully divine. She receives his mission, he's come to save. And now we have this response, this choice of how will we respond, as Mary does, and she teaches us so well, in wonder, in awe, but also in surrender. And may God work that in our hearts this morning. Let me pray for us today. Father God, we thank you for Mary. Thank you for her example. I'm really the first one who hears the good news of Jesus at 15 years old with great cost and just believes it. And so God, we thank you for her example. And God, we pray, Lord, you would well up in our hearts the same desire, Lord, uh, the same knowledge to, to wonder, to hold in awe what you have done, but Lord, also of surrender to you. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the great things about Christmas is, I think in our culture, is people are more open to spiritual conversations than, they, than maybe they are the rest of the year. And so maybe you might have an opportunity this week just to simply ask someone you know, hey, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? And could just listen to their response. And if they might return the favor and ask you the same question, maybe you could share a little bit of what we've talked about today, of who Jesus is and why he came. And so look for those opportunities this week, Harbor. And Harbor, we are sent.